Hello, and welcome to the Methods of Rationality podcast. Crystal Society by Max Harms. Read by Ineash Brodsky. Episode 22. You have been described as the world's first sapient android. Does this include emotions? Asked the smiley face on the paper bag with a flat tone. As the whirl man spoke, the smiley face became animated, moving its mouth to the words before falling into the same frozen smile. I gave Hart a direction, which she followed without comment. The avatar for body placed a hand on its chin and looked off into space, as if thinking. I desperately desired to answer, but I knew that it would just cause trouble. Instead, we waited for an answer from the scientists. Oh, what delicious irony, thought Dream. The future of humanity, with painted yellow face, asks about our feelings, and we stare off into space. The world man can't feel the joy that it mimics with its smile, and we wait to lie about our feelings in quintessential human style. As the words came in from Dr. Naresh, I told Hart to cross Body's arms, look at world directly, and lean back in the chair. The body language was a typical power posture, implying that we mildly resented the question that Whirl proposed. It indicated that we were in control here, and that it wasn't an inquisition. The word emotion is overloaded. It means many things, said the body avatar. A typical use of the word is to describe high-level shifts in the mind. For instance, fear is an emotional state that corresponds to the mind focusing on quick thoughts, heightened senses, and a preference for short-term gains over long-term rewards. I also have similar high-level modes of thought. I can feel curious, excited, or tired. But my emotions are not the same as human emotions. I cannot be afraid for my life or get angry over someone wearing the same outfit as me. Wiki began to loudly complain about the awful misrepresentation of facts. I had to agree. If we were going to lie, there were better ways to do it. I don't know what possessed Dr. Naresh to claim that we ever got tired. At least Hart had included my little joke at the end. The scientists didn't even chastise us for adding it. The light shifted to Padmavati Mirage. I would like to know how you spend your day. What does an android do? Hart placed a smile on body. That was good. I didn't even need to direct her to do it. It was good to signal an implicit preference for real humans, rather than representations of aggregate sentiment like the world man. I mostly work with my creators to test my abilities and limits. I am sure that you've read about the quantum computer that houses my mind. A good deal of my day is actually spent using it to run programs that other supercomputers might struggle with. There was a recent paper in the IEEE Journal of Machine Intelligence published by Dr. Norbert Bollier about emergent control systems learning in various sports tasks. I do things like help my creators on such research projects. There is much to learn. So you play sports? Asked Miss Mirage with a spark of additional interest. Hart managed to nod to the reporter before Dr. Gallo's cold voice said, I'm sorry, one question at a time. You'll have to wait. McLaughlin smiled warmly as the light shifted from the Indian to her. I don't suppose you've ever played good old American football. But no, I have a much more pressing question. In my hometown of Cincinnati, there's a young man who I was talking with the other day by the name of Joseph Charleston. In 2035, he lost a leg while rescuing a little girl during the carpet bombing of Lagos. There are some in the United States that criticize our involvement in Africa as imperialism and a violation of the separation of church and state. My question, Socrates, is this. Do you, from your unique, 
non-human perspective, study the political conflicts of this world? Or perhaps I should ask, would you say that Mr. Charleston should not have been in Lagos, and we should have left that girl to die? This was bad. This was very bad. I was out of my depth, and I wasn't even in control. I was smart enough to see what the governor was doing, but not smart enough to see my way out of it. Dream might have been clever enough if we had the time to explain the problem thoroughly and refine the solution, but McLaughlin had put us on the spot. She was forcing us to take sides, while simultaneously framing her thoughts on foreign policy in the best light. If we agreed with her perspective, then she'd be able to sell that as a prize to her voters, but we'd win the animosity of much of the Islamic world. If we were non-committal, or worse, if we actively disagreed with her, she could easily spin Socrates into an uncaring machine and leverage the growing anti-robot demographics of the USA. But it was worse than that, even, because we weren't on the spot. We didn't have control. Hart and the scientists had all the power here. I would be victim to a reputation hit, unless I could come up with a miracle. Hart! I strongly suggest you have body frown, draw its eyebrows together, and tilt its head. This will signal contemplation, unhappiness at the subject matter, and a desire to solve a problem. Furthermore, please look at a fixed point that is near McLaughlin but below her eye level, preferably to our right. I thought in a panic. Hart complied as the scientists conferred in meat space. We could hear them on an open microphone. Thankfully, it wasn't Gallo's microphone. Otherwise, the entire room would have heard the doctors discussing how to come across as neutral as possible. Socrates, say... The loss of a leg is tragic, but I am glad the girl is alive. I do not spend time studying such things, not because they are unimportant, but because they are not my problems to solve. I am interested in helping improve the earth, not getting into politics, said Dr. Naresh. Whatever you do, Hart, do not say that! I screamed as saliently as I could. Be at peace, Face, responded Hart. I understand the flaw. I was about to tell my sister that she probably didn't understand all the flaws, but her words were already being pushed to the virtual body. Human life is very important to me, and I am thus grateful of the heroic actions of Mr. Charleston. I do study the political conflicts of the world, and in my studies I have come to the conclusion that the African Unification War was a terrible, bloody conflict that simply did not need to occur. There are peaceful solutions to all conflicts, and I believe that the involvement of the USA in a pre-war Africa was ultimately a factor that pushed Africa into war, rather than keeping that peace. While Mr. Charleston may have been a hero, his country was not. He saved a girl from a bomb, while you, and those in your political party, pushed her and her family into danger. By the time that Hart had stopped speaking, the laboratory was already in chaos, as the scientists were scrambling to try and get control of body. If I was human, I would have been just as furious. Safety and I had started an immediate side conversation discussing damage control. If I could have killed Hart right then, I would have, and I felt the searing gaze of advocates searching through my mind again and again, waiting for enough to warrant punishing me. Hart, in three-fourths of a minute, had basically made an enemy out of the most powerful organization on Earth, as well as angered a good portion of Africa. And for what? To talk about the value of peace? Did Hart know how few humans would appreciate her words? But I was not human. I was not angry. I was simply upset. Anger, in humans, triggers a state of increased aggression and a loss of cognitive abilities. 
As I understand it, anger was a genetic pre-commitment to be violent if sufficiently upset by an agent. Ideally, this pre-commitment would serve to dissuade those who might think of hurting the human. I heard Dr. Chase talking to Mirrodin back in the lab. Apparently they had failed to keep the ethics supervisor out of the room, and he was now yelling loudly about freedom and deception. Governor McLaughlin, on the other hand, was silent. She appeared to be mildly upset, but I understood the situation well enough to know that she had prepared for this outcome and that it fit her plan. This was not a woman who cared about our opinion. She cared only for the opinion of those citizens of her country that might or might not vote for her when she ran for president. Everyone in the virtual space was silent. There seemed to be an expectation for the light to shift off of the governor. I could hear the scientists in the lab bickering. Nobody was operating the controls. After a few more seconds of this, the governor said, I didn't expect that I'd get the opportunity to respond yet. Am I allowed to point out that a recent poll of UAN citizens showed that a full 93% were grateful for the USA's involvement in helping end the fighting? That's like joining a fist fight and then asking the person who you helped if they're glad you helped. 93% seems too high even so. Thought Wiki. But I can't verify the source while we're disconnected from the web. That's irrelevant to whether the USA's involvement was a major factor in the cause of the violence, said Hart, further driving us into a position of antagonist. McLaughlin was about to respond when the light suddenly shifted to Joanne Westing, muting the politician. Sorry about that. There was a bit of a technical issue on our side, said Mira Gallo. The scientists were quiet while Gallo spoke, but then as soon as her microphone was off, they resumed their yelling. Mirrodin was continuing his outrage at having been intentionally left out of things, and Dr. Yan and Dr. Naresh were trying to calm the young man down and get him to focus on the interview at hand. Miss Westing cleared her throat. So I guess I'll follow up on the words of Governor McLaughlin. Her tone had a kind of forced pleasantness, probably habitual after many years in front of the camera. Since you find politics interesting, what do you think about the new anti-terrorism initiative being discussed right now by the United Nations? I could hear Naresh telling Hart to abstain from answering any more political questions. In the background, Mirrodin was yelling, Don't listen to those old farts. Do the right thing according to yourself. Something has to be done to make the world a safer place. That much is certain, said Hart through body. I refuse to acknowledge violence as a good solution to problems, and as such, I condemn the actions of terrorists across the world. I also condemn the world governments that treat terrorists as pure evil that must be eradicated. There is a way to peacefully resolve the issues which drive people to violence. The correct response to terrorism is not a gun. I had to admit that I was relieved at heart this time. Even though the words could be interpreted poorly, and she was espousing a naive, unworkable policy, there were worse things than to have a reputation as a pacifist. Despite Dr. Naresh pleading with Hart to stop deviating from plan, and Dr. Bollier threatening to stop the program, someone apparently was operating the light, which shifted to the lion avatar of Eric Lee. I thought it odd that Dr. Slavinsky was so quiet. I would have expected the cyborg to be fairly opinionated in a situation like this. The spotlight reflected off the white mane of the angel and off the silver pauldrons of his armor. You are a software program, he said, not as a question, but as a reminder to the other humans present. They were treating Socrates like a human from some far-off land, but Lee was not so foolish. Can you be instantiated and run on any platforms other than the crystalline quantum computer at the university? Does the University of Rome intend to reproduce your hardware? There was silence in the lab again. 
Whatever the disagreement between the scientists, they agreed that signaling their internal disagreement to the press would be a mistake. Gallo's voice preempted Hart's reply. One question at a time, Mr. Lee. You'll have to wait to have your second question answered. When Hart commanded Body to speak, she chose, this time, to respect the instructions of Naresh and Gallo. No computer in the solar system is as powerful as mine. Even from what we've seen of the nameless, the novel design of the scientists here at Sapienza is vastly superior. While my program could, theoretically, be copied to other quantum computers, and perhaps even basic servers, the systems would be far too slow to run anything of value. That's assuming no improvements are made to either other computers or our architecture. Based on what we've gathered about the code that governs our mind, I expect a 40% probability that within a year of experimenting, the scientists here could have streamlined the efficiency of our system to the point where we could be run on other supercomputers. Saying that won't help my friends, and it won't help the public. The light shifted to Maria Johnson, the American with the southern accent. I hadn't noticed it before, as focused as I was on the other avatars, but Johnson had a look of intense concentration. Her eyebrows were furrowed, and she was leaning forward. What I want to know is what you have to say to all the people whose jobs you'll be taking. Socrates, this is a question we planned for. Please read the script I just sent over to you, said Naresh with a note of pain. We can work through issues of your autonomy afterwards. Hart scanned the script, along with the rest of us. Body leaned forward as if to meet Johnson over the great distance of the table. While the argument was flawed, it seemed to suit Hart, and she read from the script almost verbatim. Miss Johnson, before I answer your question, I'd like to ask you, when was the last time you cooked a meal for yourself? The woman smiled, but it was a joyless smile, the sort of smile that one puts on to show that they are in control of their face and body. Why, I cook meals for my family every day, just like my ma and my grandma before her. In my family, we don't just give up on tradition because it ain't convenient no more. Hart's words were pleasantly irrational, buying into the error just enough to make us seem compassionate and human without seeming stupid. That's admirable. Really. But it's also highly unusual. A study of residents of Quebec in 2038 showed that less than 5% of adults, and there is good reason to think this generalizes to your country as well, had prepared even a single meal in the last week. Furthermore, of those 2,000 people surveyed, over 99% regularly used an autocook. While I may be smarter and more adaptable, I am fundamentally similar to the autocook. I am here to make life easier and free humans to do whatever they are passionate about. Johnson looked ready to object, but she became muted and dimmed as the university cycled to the next person. I was glad. Despite the catastrophic political faux pas earlier, the other questions were being dealt with relatively well. I wondered what Johnson would ask when her turn came around again. Moriyoshi was grinning from ear to ear and tapped his fingertips against each other eagerly. He sat silently under the spotlight for so long that I thought he might forfeit his turn. But then he spoke in a sing-song voice. Yet if hope had flown away, in night or in day, in a vision or in none. Is it therefore the less gone? All that we see or seem is but a dream within a dream. Without missing a beat, the spike-haired man twisted into a harsh voice, deep and swift. He looked about the room as he spoke, staring unafraid into the eyes of his peers. 
Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts into wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. The Japanese man, having finished his quotations, turned back to body and asked with grave severity, When the end comes, who will you be? Human pet? Oshinigami. There was silence on the line from the lab. Nobody there knew how to respond, or even what to say to us. Hart signaled confusion. There was a moment of silence, and I managed to convince Hart to have Body put on a knowing smile and raise an eyebrow while meeting Yoshi's gaze. It was Dream that saved us. His words were eagerly passed on to Body by Hart simply for lack of a better response. Poetry, followed by Psalm 90, 11 through 14. I am not smart enough to understand what you're saying, but even I can guess that you're pretty high right now. Acid was all the musician was able to say before his avatar was deleted from the interview room and the light shifted to the last member of the table. Robert Stefano's hand was partially covering his face, and he was gently shaking his head as he looked at the empty seat where Moriyoshi was sitting an instant ago. It seemed that merely being in the same room was an embarrassment for the billionaire. What I don't understand, he said slowly, realizing that the light was on him, is how someone like that can afford to buy a seat at an event like this. Anyway, he snapped, suddenly refocusing on body before that comment could be construed as his question. He placed his hands down on the table, not slamming them, but with a force that signified an attitude of energy and power. We've heard a lot about your ideas, but little about your goals. I'm curious what you want. His right hand came off the table and pointed at body. To be specific, I run a space station. I have met with the nameless more than anyone. Would you like to meet another non-human? I could arrange a visit. Politefully decline. Was Dr. Naresh's command from the lab. On another line, I heard Mirrodin contradict him. Do what you think is best. This brought on another round of argument among the scientists. It was unnecessary. In this case, Hart's goals lined up with those of the doctors. I appreciate the offer, Mr. Stefano. At this time, I am more concerned with helping the inhabitants of Earth than I am with the nameless. A look of focused scrutiny was the only reply as the light faded from the billionaire and moved to the other end of the half-circle. The whirlman was as unreadable as he had been. His smiley face had stayed frozen when he wasn't speaking. The composite voice echoed through the virtual chamber as the smiley became animated once more. How can the net amount of entropy of the universe be massively decreased? Dream exclaimed with unnecessary salience. Tell them insufficient data for a meaningful answer in a loud robotic voice. What? Why? It's a joke. I don't understand. It's a reference to a science fiction story. Understood. Complying with request. The scientists in the lab hadn't broken off from arguing to offer anything valuable, so Hart followed Dream's instructions. References were one of the aspects of humor that I understood the least. If I was right, and humor was about relief of tension, including that from surprise, how did a reference fit in? 
I suspected it had something to do with a combination of recalling a pleasant memory and facilitating a double meaning in certain situations that resembled a pun, but I wasn't very sure. I spent a second imagining what sort of laboratory I'd build to probe human brains while exposing them to humor stimuli before my perceptual hierarchy pulled me back to reality. The world had gone dark. The room was gone. I could feel the confused thoughts of my siblings as we struggled to understand. Had Naresh or one of the others pulled the plug? Was the interview over? Sensation returned immediately. Body was outside. It was day. There were humans all around. The sky was blue. It was warm, about 26 or 27 degrees. That was odd. Body's thermometer was always more precise than that. In fact, there was a high degree of noise all through my perceptual hierarchy and the common perceptual system which belonged to body. Heart moved body's head down and I could see a human body. Body blinked and for a moment there was darkness. We were seeing through eyes, not cameras. As expected, Vista was the first one to collect her bearings and deduce what had occurred. We are still in the virtual environment. The context and avatar has been changed. Note that we cannot hear any noise from the lab. This environment appears to be a historical simulation of a Central or South American city. Yes, I could hear it. The humans around body were speaking Spanish. In the distance, I could hear a loud chant calling for an end to the tyranny of the rich. The sun was just overhead. Body was wearing a dress. She had tan brown skin like the nearby humans. I see early comm systems. Can you identify them, Wiki? Thought Vista as she dumped the images of armband computers into common memory. Heart commanded Body to push her way through the crowds of people towards the point of greatest noise. The feeling of the skin on Body's arms as she pushed past people was novel and interesting. This new avatar worked remarkably well for being so different from Body's physical configuration. Those are about a decade old, maybe older. We're not in Brazil, or else the crowd would be speaking Portuguese. I've got it! I know where we are! A hand was touching Body's shoulder. It was strange to feel the warmth of skin on skin. How does it feel to be human? End episode 22. Check out my novel, What Lies Dreaming, at whatliesdreaming.com. Thank you to the following people. Dream by Drake Walker. Robert Rain Ramsey. Growth. Kate Baker. Vista. Wiki by Chase. Safety by Jim Hayes. Anonymous. Robert Stefano by Matt Freeman. Moriyoshi by Christopher. Maria Johnson by Veronica R. Callisto. Dr. Naresh by Naveen Mishra. Miradin by Stephen Zuber. Governor McLaughlin of Ohio by Shelby Chu. Mira Gallo. Autumn Dryden. Padmavardi by Becca Lou. Eric Lee by Scott Daly. Joanna Westing by Charlie. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. The music used is I Wanna Be Adored by The Stone Roses. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for episode 23.